I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest edition of the Inside Track podcast, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. In this episode, I'm in discussion with Damon Lawrenson, someone that I've known for years and who has, over the last 25 years, led transformations across both public and private sector organisations, often in times of real political challenge. So let me introduce you to Damon. Hi, Damon. Great that you could join us today. Um, I think that it's fair to say that you've had a very diverse and interesting career to date, um, operating in, in senior exec roles across both private and public sector organisations, in addition to numerous sort of consulting and interim gigs. Um, you've managed multiple large-scale transformations. Uh, do, do you just want to give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself and, and your experience today? Thanks, Tony. Uh, it all started, I, I qualified as an accountant so many moons ago now, well, 30-odd years ago, uh, 1992, and uh, a young qualified accountant uh, with that finance discipline. Um, but what I really found out quite early on was I was attracted to sort of projects and, and something that had a clear deliverable. So you knew if you was winning at the end of it, you know, have you succeeded or not? So... In, in the mid-90s, I ended up uh, working um, on an interim basis because I, I started the sales and marketing business alongside my accountancy. Um, and, and really, that gave me some sort of flexibility and some freedom just to sort of go and do some interim work and do some projects. And, and I really, really liked the idea of going into an organization, um, then being clear on what they wanted. Sometimes not, but you know, more often than not, they did have an idea of what they wanted. And then, and then, then I deliver on that. I'm a doer, so my personality style is very much about, um, you know, let's let's cut through the, the rubbish and, and, and the barriers and, and let's work towards what the end game is, what the end goal is, uh, whatever they want us to achieve. So um, so I've been doing that for about 30 years. And, and um, really, I work on the basis that it doesn't matter if it's private or public sector, that, you know, a project... Where, where there's a clear line of sight of what is aimed to be achieved. Um, it's all about you know them employing me because of my personality and and my um, energy level, and the fact that um, I'll get the job done. Hopefully, more, in more cases than not. Yeah. Uh, so that, I think that's where I've been, Tony. And and, and through that, I, I've worked in the financial services sectors, and I've worked in with private SMEs, and then throughout the full public sector. And then worked in sort of uh, FEHE backgrounds, as you rightly pointed out, a, a number of organisations. But I think if you, if the common denominator in all those organisations was um, they were going through something, they needed to, to move from A to B, uh, and there was a number of projects that needed to be delivered for, um, uh, to help them to achieve whatever uh, goal they set out. So that's that, that's been my career to date, really. Yeah, and, and I'm sure we'll go into a little bit more detail in, in, in some of the specifics in due course. But, uh, you know, I, I know from <clears throat> having conversations with you in the past, you, you, you really enjoy those sort of challenging situations where, you, where you, you, know, you get thrown in at the deep end as such. So, but of, so of all of the roles that you've undertaken, which, which has been the most challenging? I would say um, there's, there's, been a, there's been a couple. One in uh, sports uh, with a unitary authority, um, when the efficiency agenda really started to kick in, or, or since Peter Gershon came up with this idea that um, organisations can really become more efficient. Uh, and I worked uh, with an outsourced organisation, Capita. I was, I was managing the Capita contract at, um, 
at Blackburn with Darwin Council, and they were going through a real wholesale transformation. Uh, they were putting in a, a, a brand new uh, technology platform, CRM, uh, a channel manager. They were integrating all the back office systems. And then with that, they needed to re-engineer all the processes for the full council. And, and what I loved about that is they had a team of about uh, half a dozen business analysts that was working uh, on the end-to-end process uh, of, of every function, basically, uh, because we were looking at whether or not we could take out um, cost and wh- whether or not we could really uh, fulfill um, what the customer needed, um, you know, members of the public, what they needed at the front end. And with that, you, you know, we wanted that initial point of contact to, to, to be uh, to resolve um, whatever the you know query they had, so that 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 project was really satisfying, and we took out about twelve and a half million pounds worth of efficiency savings. Now this is about eighteen, nineteen years ago. That's one example. I think the other example I give is um, working at uh, another big organisation, County Council, whereby um, you know they, they were being held back by years of um, not raising the council tax and funding levels, and that basically meant that. There was not enough money in the system um, to, to, to meet the demands of um, social care, and, and with that, you know, the transformation program was was immense and challenging because, you know, the phrase of low-hanging fruit, those early easy efficiencies weren't necessarily there, so we had to go deeper into the business and really challenge the status quo uh, and get people thinking differently and trying to impact the customer in a different way. And what uh, issues again, did you come across there then doing that? Well, I think the big big issue in all organisations I've, I've worked in, and it must be thirty plus now, is is that cultural barrier that you you, you come up against, whereby people just you know haven't. First of all, they don't like change. In you know, people say, "Yeah, I'm open to change," but really, they like to they like to know what's expected of them. They come in, do the the job, and 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 leave and. and They've done what they needed to. So when you bring in about change that uh, that impacts somebody's thinking and how we deliver services, then that culture um, is a big real barrier. Um, and I've, I've witnessed that in most organisations. I, I suppose that I thrive on um, seeing people change uh, their mindset and actually start to embrace change. Why? Because they can see the benefit at the end of the day. And I think that's, that's the way that um, I address it, you know, selling people on the benefits, trying to get them to see how the organisation uh, could look and feel um, rather than how it does look and feel now. More often than not, there's failure there. So people can, when it's pointed out, they can say, actually, it's not working in a number of instances. But but a lot of the time, it's, it's constantly trying to get people to think differently yeah. uh, and see a world that they've not been in before. And take them on that journey, I assume. Yeah, I mean, that's what it, I, I think you, you can't communicate enough in, in, in transformation. Any, any any change program, you know, they say, you know, you never stop communicating. To keep people on board, you know, that most people in an organisation, it's the uncertainty that um, paralyses them. It's the uncertainty that worries them. Um, and, and they don't embrace that change because they're unsure of what that would look like. So by, it's all about communication and getting them engaged in the solution more often than not. Um, they will know what needs to improve and how we can improve. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing how um, working as a consultant, working as an interim, whenever you work in an organization, um, 
sometimes people think you know, you've got all the answers and you haven't. What you have is a resource in that organization that you can, that you can take on board with you, that you can harness. And, and that there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of solutions that will come from those, those people. And, and sometimes it's just allowing them the opportunity to be part of the solution. And, and, and they've not necessarily had the opportunity in the past. No. Giving them permission, really, to say, actually, um, how, how would you do it moving forward? How do you see the organisation? What are the issues? It's, it's quite interesting, the, the old sort of adage of uh, a consultant and uh, you, know, you, give him, you give him the watch and they tell you the time type of stuff. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there, in terms of um, you know, external or even internal, as, as if you're driving a change, if you can go in and start to engage with the people, uh, nine times out of ten, they know the answers. You, you just need to ask the right questions to get to to, to expose those answers, um, and then yeah. and they engage them in, in delivering those against those answers. Well, yeah, and I think you know that that engagement level is at different levels, isn't it? It's about making sure that they understand that they're valued and, and, and part of that solution, um, not only through their experience, but but um, they they could be part of the delivery of that end game. So so getting them involved and, and being part of that solution, that, that I, you've heard, I think everyone's heard that phrase, you know, get skin in the game. If people feel that they've contributed to something, then they're going to be more, ch- they've got more chance of being a cheerleader for that change when it comes through. And, you know, um, you, you, you could have like a, a few people that understand and see the end game. And then few people need to then, I suppose, convert other people to be, to see how they need to embrace change. The more people you have, I call it cheerleaders, more, the more people that are cheerleading the change, uh, then that's how you get transformation. I remember one example up in, um, up in the uh, Northeast, working in an organization, and it was literally about uh, bringing a culture of discipline in an organization, just meeting basic deadlines. Um, and, and when I uh, met, met certain deadlines, um, as it's part of my standard, deadlines are set because there's a reason behind it um there'll be a dependency somewhere and when i met that deadline and others challenged oh we don't meet deadlines here it's not the culture and i said well you're part of the problem not the solution if you meet deadlines then then there's a few of us and that few of us become the majority if we all adopt the right standard and yeah. i think that's just an example of of how you bring cultural change by setting your stall out of what the standard is that you'll uphold and um, adhere to. Yeah, and, and yeah, I don't know if you find, but I, I find quite a lot that people will commit to uh, a certain deadline because they think that's what you want to hear. Uh, and it's far better for them to challenge it up front um, and then commit to something that they can actually deliver. Yeah, I think you're right there, Tony. I mean, more often than not, people that... Um, miss deadlines habitually is because they don't see the bigger picture they just don't understand the dependency of you know i'm not setting a deadline to put somebody under pressure I'm setting a deadline because this needs to lead to something else can be done then something else can be done and, and more often than not they don't understand that they're on a critical path of yes. key decisions and key deadlines and and just missing one um can have far-reaching effects so i think We've all got a responsibility involved in change in any organisation to communicate that makes sure people understand uh, that bigger picture. 
And so, so they don't just think, oh, I'm meeting that deadline and feel under pressure and working late to do X, Y, Z. Um, actually, I'm working late and working hard. I'm doing whatever I need to because I know that um, the next team need what I've done to be able to progress it to the next point. And I suppose it all goes back to communication. And as you said, you know, have the arm wrestle up front about if it's doable. Yeah. I mean, we've all witnessed organisations that have set deadlines uh, on the workforce which are unnecessary. Uh, and, I, and I like it when people ask, so, so what do you do when, what do you do with what I've done, uh, my output, um, and what's the next step? What happens after that? And it's all about that communication. It's two-way discussion, isn't it? It's about saying, right, okay, you've produced that for me. That's great because that is needed for the next step of X, Y, Z whether yeah. it's a procurement or the system, whether it's um, re-engineering a process, whatever it is. Absolutely. absolutely. Have you found significant differences between uh, the you know, public sector, private sector organisations and the way that they react to uh, that sort of change demands and, and, and the sort of transformation agenda? Yeah, that's a good question. That I um, worked with um, a German managing director of... Um, was involved in uh, manufacturing businesses um, uh, down just outside London, and it was quite clear that they had to re-engineer the the processes and, and get the workforce thinking differently, and on and almost um, going in different directions. And they had to coach key individuals um, to to embrace that change. Uh, and the bottom line was the jobs were on the line. Um, in fact, the organisation's um, existence was on the line. Um, it had a shrinking turnover. It wanted to grow back its turnover. Um, obviously, um, profit was, was had, had sort of dwindled and, uh, over the years. And they got the point where if they didn't re-engineer the, the business and have a different focus uh, and, and, and the attitude of the workforce embraces that, that, that change, they wouldn't be in existence. Um, so there was an urgency about getting the job done because obviously the board, the entrepreneurs, the people who are uh, owning that business or people who are accountable for, for, for the ownership of that business have, have a clear deadline about its existence. Uh, so that urgency very really uh, quite stark, quite clear. Um, whereas sometimes in the public sector, they, they go on a funding cycle uh, because of the way they're funded, the council tax and, you know, setting the budget. And, and that cycle sometimes can lead to a lack of sense of urgency, I would say. Now, on saying that, over the last few years, the public sector has, has been hit with the austerity agenda. So the urgency in some organisations has been far greater than, um, than others. I suppose it all depends on what the baseline is, where they're starting off. But predominantly, I think, uh, in the private sector, because of how how they are funded and how the who's their masters, I think they have a, a sense of urgency that's far greater than the public sector. And I suppose my experience of working in both, um, I try to bring a culture of discipline into any either or, or sectors. Um, at the end of the day, understanding what the the end game is and the, the what success looks like, and working backwards to say, well. To achieve what we're aiming to achieve, we need to do um, this by that deadline, this by that deadline, that this by that deadline. You know, these are on the critical path. And I try to keep a sense of urgency because I always believe if you've got the right people on the team, right people leading the team, 
then 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 you have to build some momentum and change is easier with momentum yeah a lot of organizations i've worked in uh, have had a key project a key transformation project that's stalled that they've just not been able to sort of get any momentum with it. I worked at the Department for Health in London and they had a key system that needed implementing and, and then all the process needed to be re-engineered. And, and it was three months behind um, and it was quite clear that we had to up the ante with some real momentum. Uh, we might have a chance of getting hitting the end, uh, the, the end game and the, uh, the deadline uh, that was set. And the only way we did that was we got all the right people in, on board, changed some of the people, and um, we outlined why it was, it was so urgent. The impact was going to be huge. It meant uh, that the government would be uh, hemorrhaging a lot of cash. It was costing uh, a lot of money to the Department of Health. And, you know, in fact, it was <laughs> it was in PM questions, Prime Minister questions, on, a, on a, almost like a weekly basis, uh, the progress with the system. Now, the good news is we got the urgency, we got momentum, and we delivered the system that was processing a, a couple of billion pounds worth of payments uh, across, uh, at the time, the primary care, um, care trust. So, so it, it worked, and we got it on track. And I think in organisations, Sonny, uh, that sense of urgency needs to be there more. Uh, and I suppose it goes back down to communication in the first instance, yeah. understanding why the urgency is there in the first place. Absolutely. Obviously, I would have, I would have assumed that in that example, um, your stakeholders were, uh, were were challenging, shall we say? But what what uh, in, in terms of that experience of managing stakeholders, both up and down, you know, in terms of the the hierarchy, what what are the sort of top two or three things that you you, you do to to ensure that that you know you, you have successful relationships? Yeah. Well, you're going to hear this quite a lot in this talk. It, it, uh, certainly communication straight from the onset i think first of all you've got to identify those stakeholders um internal and external and make sure that you have um the right level of communication and informing them about the progress and the, the journey today and and the key is to manage expectations of mm. stakeholders cannot i remember you know, a number of years ago, someone advised me when I was really, I would say, a junior consultant, just embarking on my change journey. And he said, you know, he said to me, the best thing you can do, because I was holding a big workshop with about 10, 12 directors across all the business. And he says, manage expectations. Make sure that you, you, you're not stating something that you can't deliver. Make sure that you will deliver because it's your credibility. So with stakeholders, I think it's about managing expectations and then following through and letting them know that that that, um, that you're delivering as per that timetable, and if not, why? Um, so keeping them on board throughout throughout that journey, and I, not being afraid to actually say to let people know if things are going well as as well as when they are going well, um, keeping them informed. I, I've come across in, in, in one or two organisations where you know certain leaders in the organizations just basically said you know don't come to me with, with bad news yeah. <laughs> almost you know and you think so that's crazy you know the door's closed no wonder that organization is failing you know at the end of the day not everything will go to, according to plan and 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 you've got to look at you know what the solutions are what the you know change direction um how do you recover uh, and get it back on track uh, but communicate with the stakeholders, communicate with the staff, 
communicate with everyone and let them know, listen, you know, it's, this is what we was intending uh, the outcome to be, but, but we're not on track with that. Uh, however, we can recover it by doing X, Y, and Z and letting them know what the implications are. Um, right. Because I've never seen a, a transformation project move from, from, you know, where it is to, to where it needs to be uh, on a straight line. You know, it's, it's, it's 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 a bumpy rocky road that we'll be will be on them and um that's for sure if it was easy um there'd be more successful transformations in place no oh, absolutely and it's interesting isn't it like you say the there's there is a tendency i find that people don't want to own up when things are going wrong and actually it's the worst possible thing you know the the, the be open and be transparent in everything that you do because nine times out of ten, the stakeholders that you avoid in telling about these issues or these challenges are the very people that need to do something to uh, remove the hurdles or to, 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 to break down the barriers so that you can actually be successful. Um, so it, 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 it almost becomes a, a downward spiral by not being open and transparent with them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the, the key people that, that need to hear how the project or program is, is, is performing um, are the ones, like you said, that can, can make the interventions uh, and get it to help it to get back on track. And sometimes it's, it's a lack of the, their input at some point in the journey that, that has meant it's stalled um, and they need to understand their value um, to, to get it back on the track. But that downward spiral, um, yeah, transparency, uh, engagement i think the other thing I'd, I'd say is that a lot of the culture the barriers to, to, to transformation programs and the reason that the cultures are, are not how it should be is because the fear of, of if, if it goes wrong then then it'll be my fault um you know i'll be they'll be looking for a whipping boy they'll be looking for a head on the block they'll be looking for some casual tenor. so if i vote if, if i say that it's not working then then it might be a reflection of me and and you know it's my job on the line so yeah. i think there is a fear culture that in, in some organizations probably quite a lot actually whereby they just don't they're not open and transparent enough because there's a fear that actually it won't look good on on them when the reality is I, far, I respect far more an individual that will uh, own up to something that's not going well um, because they're, you know, they're, they're bold and courageous enough and they're doing the right job, right thing by, by raising it than those that hide behind something hoping that no one will find out. Because invariably, um, when you do the post-mortem, when you really look at the, the, how a project has performed, if it's done the right way, then, then there will be a lot of lessons learned. And if one of the lessons is, we sh you know, we should have escalated some of, some of this earlier on. Um, I'll let people off the once or twice maybe, but um, you know, if it's a habitual, then, then it's a problem. I need an open culture where people will let me know how it's really going. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and interestingly enough, when you mentioned the, the sort of uh, post-project uh, review, um, I, I don't know if you find, but I find all too often organisations don't do those properly. Or if they do... They don't put enough time and effort in, into really understanding what went well and what, what could have gone better um, and learning from, from, from those into the next programs. It's almost, yeah, that, that project's finished now. Let's move very quickly onto the next one. And, 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 and you get this sort of ongoing process of you, you're, making the same issue, you're making the same mistakes. On, on, on project after project after project. So how, how, yeah. how, how have you sort of, within your roles where you've been 
in some cases driving the change, but it, it, but it equally, um, you've been one of the core sponsors in lots of the change programs. How have you ensured that you know that sort of program review um, is 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 uh, completed properly? Well, it's, it, I have got recent experience of this uh, in a London organisation, London Authority, whereby um, a system was being put in, brought in, uh, needed some real fundamental change, uh, business process re-engineering, uh, wrapped around this new, new functionality with this new system. Uh, there was delays and delays and delays in getting the system procured, um, get, getting it involved, getting it um, off the ground. Uh, and, and one of the reasons was the, the organisation wants to really look at the lessons from the previous uh, stalled and failed system implementation. And it, and it was brave. It was good. It was actually, they, they actually looked at the lessons learned report. And, and that was the starting point of, of, of the new procurement. And I was the project sponsor. So, so I embraced this report. And it was it was there. It was a baseline of 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 all those issues with previous leadership, all those issues with resourcing, the issues on decision making, and and it was good to to be able to go to that um, post mortem report and say, you know, there's lessons in that. We're not going to repeat them on this new one, and just keep going back to it and keep going back to it, so that the new system being procured with the right resources not underestimating the time frames and making sure we get off on the right footing and we stays on track. So that's an example actually where the baseline report um, was really, really helpful and useful. Um, I've, I have been in an organization whereby um, they repeated all the previous failings because the lessons learned report was paid, paid lip service to it and no one could even find where the report was. Um, it was it was just in a in, in a desk somewhere in a, you know, in a cupboard somewhere on a file, and and, and it was a shame because uh, if they had really gone back and looked at those lessons learned, then they could have saved a lot of money uh, in time, uh, energy, and resource. Yeah, I, I find I find if you if you sort of map out the the true end to end progress a process of, of of running a program, everyone's focused upon that mid. Uh, the, the middle element of delivery, but actually it's the starting point of setting it up right, and the end point of embedding and then doing the, the then doing the formal review. They are the they are the sort of much more important in terms of getting things right than than, than the middle part. And, and, and if you do get the first part right in, in particular, the delivery is much easier. And, and if you if you then focusing on the embedding piece. And then do the full sort of uh, program review. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, your next programs will be much more successful. Is, is that? Do you share that? that, that yeah, I, I think there's um, there's a tendency for projects to be up and running uh, at the speed of light and and in on with it without actually thinking and spending enough time up front. Um, doing individual projects and making sure those individual pits spend enough time on that um, before sign off uh, at the board because you know in there it should have the resources it'll have the risks it'll have the key dependencies it'll it'll should highlight and uh, how that program will run and what is needed for it to run effectively yeah. um, and and 
the number of times I've, I've come into an organisation and I've asked the question, so, you know, let, let's look at the original PID, uh, project initiation document. What, what did that identify? It's the outline resources that are needed, the outline budget, and the outline plan, and the key dependencies, uh, the decision making, the governance, you know, and they hadn't, if they would have spent more time in getting that, getting the thought, of the thinking right, and getting the, the head around those types of questions, it would have started off far greater. And I think as you, the other um, area that I'm a big fan of and, and I try to harp on quite a lot about is the benefits realisation document. The benefit, you know, at the end of the project, um, when it's successfully in, did it deliver against that business case? How did it deliver against the business case? Did we realise the benefits? In fact, throughout the project, um, if there's, you know, if, if the benefits aren't being realised, then the original business case um, benefits are going to be uh, eroded, uh, and the end game they might not deliver, you know, in efficiency terms or cost saving terms, what what they in, in, originally planned. Is it because the scope didn't stay on track? Is it because um, they just didn't manage the cost effectively throughout that program? So you know. Big fan of, of getting the PID right at the beginning. Big fan of doing that post-mortem, lessons learned, the benefits realisation, you know, against that original business case. Uh, only then do you know actually you succeeded or not, I think. Uh, totally agree, totally agree. So I, I, I'm aware that you've, uh, you've got quite a young family, so I'm sure they keep you really busy. What do you do to get away from it all? In Yeah, I, I think it's massively important that you do... Be mindful of, of, of where you are, your personal energy levels, um, how do you get your own self-renewal, how do you recharge your batteries, because, you know, leading on a transformation program, you invariably are the one that's uh, bringing people forward, uh, they, they'll suck your energy, they'll take your energy, an organisation will take your energy, so there's two things I really do, one is uh, I'm a, a fan of reading, um, reading successful biographies, reading uh, leadership books, reading uh, anything on, on a positive mental attitude basis, uh, team building. I like all those um, great authors like Napoleon Hill and Stephen Colvey, um, Robin Sharma. You know, so I'm really, uh, I can lose myself in books and that, I get, get a lot of renewal from that. And I just know when I'm a bit flat, I just need to get some good uh, mental nourishment, get some really good big thread uh, and then the second one is I play golf on the weekend and uh, again fresh air bit of banter with the with the lads perform well it's a few nice shots um, so 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 golf gives me that escapism full-on um, when I'm working with a client full-on when um, I'm preparing and um, making sure that when when I finish with an organization I have have some time off uh, holiday I think every six weeks I try to get away doesn't have to be for a week, don't have to be for a fortnight, for a few days, whether yeah. it's the Lake District, whether it's abroad, playing golf, making sure they have some days away um, and just reading. And so that's what where I get to my balance from. I started a number of years ago uh, writing a journal, and a journal is, for me is just a book. You know, whether I'm with a client, I'm always making notes. You know, it's whether it's an audit trail of decisions they've made, thoughts, processes. So very rarely I, 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 I'm not with my um, my A4 book, my journal, and and I do the same when I'm when I'm reading and when I'm just sort of uh, thinking. I'll, I'll I'll empty my head uh, what comes into it. 
Um, and it's in- interesting when you put things down on paper, um, you know, you immediately, it could be a challenge, it could be a problem, it could be uh, uh, something really big. But when you break it down and you put it on paper, I don't know, it, it loses its, its weight sometimes and, and, and you can start to think about the solutions and how, you, uh, how you're going to deal with it. So I ask this question all the time to, to, to every, every participant of the, uh, uh, of the podcast. Um, if you could boil down all your experience into one core takeaway today, what would it be? I would say um, f- focus on what's important. Don't lose sight of your own personal goals. Yeah, I think if you know what you're about, then I think that gives you a leading edge when you're working with organisations. That's great. Uh, thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, Damon. That's, uh, that's really useful. And uh, thanks for your time and insights today. Uh, we, we, no tend to get some, we tend to get some questions sent through to us um, af- after we publish these. Um, are you happy for me to sort of pull those together and send them over to you oh, for, absolutely. for clarification? That's brilliant. Thanks a lot, Damon. That's really good. No uh, problem. Enjoy it. See you soon. Take care. Yeah, so speak to you soon. Yeah, cheers, right. then. Bye-bye. Once again, thank you, Damon. I'm sure you'll agree that Damon's experience and insights into the way that he has overcome some challenging situations offer up ideas that you can apply moving forward. Transformation is our core focus at Thompson Wright Partners. We deliver the right people at the right time to structure, guide and support our clients to deliver their transformation objectives. Please feel free to leave a comment and let me have some feedback on the podcast so far. See you in a couple of weeks.